0: Great moments uh, in my life where, you know, it happened then and at, at, during my time in South Coast State, I loved it. I loved it there. What all good leaders have in common is they put in the work. People will see it, but that's not why the, they work. You know, they're not working for people to see it. They just work because it's what they do. And people respect that and they'll respect that across all professions, you know, not just not just football. JT Barrett, I would ask him to go through the script with me. So it's me and JT Barrett, and then Drew's out there, and he's down in the, us three are out there, he's down in the red zone, and he's just going through every play and every scenario in his mind, and... Oh, you know, actually there is one thing I just remembered that I did, that I did in college, is I slept in the locker room before every game on the floor
1: man. And I'm not trying to downplay it and like be one of those disgruntled old guys. Cause I, I promised myself I wouldn't.
0: Yeah, it was loud. It was, you know, honestly though, not that different from playing at NDSU. Horns down.
1: What was growing in Matt Patricia's beard? Anything? Did you see anything come out of it or? Welcome to the Splitting Hairs podcast presented by Jackrabbit Illustrated. Today, my guest really needs no introduction to the Jackrabbit faithful, um, but we'll give it a a whirl here. Zach Zenner is joining me today uh, on the podcast. Zach is a Jackrabbit legend. Uh, It would take me a full hour just to go through his bio and all the stats and everything he accumulated throughout his career in the blue and yellow. So I'll leave that up to the listeners to go check that out on the uh, Jackrabbitgojacks.com website. Uh, He's got a a pretty lengthy Wikipedia page, too, uh, filled with his NFL accomplishments and things he's done thus far since joining the league in 2015. Uh, But one of the most prominent things that we should touch on was Zach was probably one of the most prolific running backs uh, across all levels of NCAA uh, by rushing for over 2000 yards, three consecutive seasons. And maybe if we gave him the ball a little bit more his freshman year, he could have flipped the (laughs) whole script uh, altogether, but uh, I think he, it it turned out all right for him. So Zach, uh, thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, What have you been up to since football ended uh, this past season? And, how has everything gone up uh, Up where you're at right now as far as uh, COVID-19 and staying prepared and, and things of that nature?
0: Yeah, so up, in, up here in Minnesota, um, we moved here after the Lions released me uh, and during training camp last year. Um, and so football ended for me week 14. I was home because uh, the Dolphins released me after week 13. So I was home for the end of the Season and watch the playoffs, but I stayed in shape all through the playoffs uh, because I could have been signed at any time by a playoff team during because I was a free agent. So I stayed in shape, worked out, just hung out at home with the uh, two kids and my wife and dog, and um, worked out through about first week in February because uh, I still could have been signed to a Super Bowl team, which would have been weird. Um, then, uh, but it did not get signed, and then I um basically spent the next two or three months kind of lo- looking for people to help me recover. I'd been in some pain during the season, and uh, some stuff had been going on, so I probably had I didn't end up finding the right help, but it took me a little bit. I probably had somewhere in the range of mid 20s, like 25 26 appointments. Uh, when it was all said and done, after in those months of um, February and uh, January, February March, uh, so I was doing that, and um, again just taking care of kids, and uh, but now uh, that spring ball would have started up without the virus going around. Uh, I've been working out again, um, and just same things, taking care of kids, working out, and uh, also uh, the other projects I've had. Aside from just education and fitness stuff, which I'm always doing, I love that. But uh, I've applied to take the agent exam, contract advisor exam, and that's something that I'm going to be doing in my future, uh, representing guys and helping them get from college to the NFL and staying there. So working on that, you know, watching tape on guys, communicating with them, you know, what I'm doing and seeing if they'd be interested in working with me in the future. So that's been going really well also. That's good to hear just from a personal perspective, because
1: I do think you have a good bit left in the tank to, to contribute to a team. And obviously your mentality, the way you've always approached ever since I've known you, even back when you're a redshirt freshman is, you know, whatever they need of me, let's roll and then make the most of it. So I think a lot of, I think a lot of kids nowadays, especially with kind of a shift in mindset, Um, maybe a a little greater emphasis on personal marketing and trying to create a brand and stuff like that, which is okay. I'm not, I'm not going to throw shade at that, but I think like maybe taking a page out of your book and just uh, putting your head down a little bit at first until you can kind of establish that rapport is, is a good look. And especially at the NFL level, when uh, some guys need to realize we need the league more than they need us, you know, it it kind of comes to that point.
0: Well, especially at the NFL level, you know, when you, when you first get there, if you're gonna, if you're gonna walk around, you know, like you said, with a brand or, you know, whatever that, whatever that may look like, uh, you are going to get laughed at for sure (laughs) and maybe worse. Um, But, you know, when someone like Tom Brady comes out with a line of clothing, it's the real deal, you know, no one says that. (laughs) Thing. <laughs> so yeah exactly so i think um you know and again you can you can do it but people in the you know people in the league are you got to care if you can play football or not <laughs> yeah and you know what is it like transitioning from the
1: collegiate level where it's pretty uniform you know there's not a lot of high status guys that are, that are maybe head and shoulders above the rest in terms of you know, media attention and things like that. I mean, there are, but what is it like going from college to the NFL level and having a lot of guys with different contracts, some guys getting paid way more than the coaches with a little bit of maybe differing agendas there? How do you
0: guys come together um, toward a common goal? It's the biggest challenge of the NFL is getting a team to really be a team amidst everything that you just said. And not only... um what you said, but I would also add an organization that doesn't necessarily back or support every player. So not to say like my organization, but in general, the organization that you're playing for may not necessarily like the team that they have. And general managers in the NFL are constantly looking to improve the bottom half of their roster. So you know, how does a guy who's on practice squad, you know, really believe a team's message when he could be released tomorrow and then re-signed a week later? <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's, so, so it is a challenge. And I think, you know, one way you can do that is having a good core nucleus of veteran guys who kind of keep help people help new guys along Um and not be callous to departure. That's a phrase that I heard that I really that really stuck with me. Is if you're if you become callous to departure of guys, then you're just going to stop investing uh, investing in them and kind of just close in upon yourself, and that'll be worse for everyone, you and the team. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's times during the season where it gets hard. Or an, not annoying, but just you know you, you you come in on Wednesday for practice, and there's five new guys, five new teammates, and you lost you lost five teammates that you knew they got released or they got hurt during the game, and they're on injury reserve now, and you know that happens every week, so you get to like week eleven and there's five new guys. like it'd be easy to just not even talk to them because you know that some of them are only going to be there for a week or maybe even less so but but i think that hurts hurts everyone so not becoming callous to departure is another way i would say you can deal with that that's excellent info right there and you know as
1: that relates to South Dakota State Athletics and the football program, I think you know the Jackrabbit way and having some deeply ingrained philosophies to try to get guys integrated and then assimilated helps a lot. You've spent most of your time in the league with Detroit. Did Detroit have any philosoph- – I mean, Coach Caldwell is a great coach, and he was primarily the guy when you were there. Um, at, when you were departing, Coach Patricia, who's obviously – Got a, a great resume as well under Bill Belichick and is trying to build his own name at the head level so what were some of the philosophies that allowed guys not to become callous to uh
0: to departure well I think the callous to departure thing is more on a personal level and also not just a personal level but on a for me it's also at a christian level um but i but what they would do is during team meetings kind of talk about our vision and talk about what we are and that, and during the spring and during this time of year is when they really build that vision of what, what we are as a team, you know, through team meetings and kind of philosophy meetings. And then during the year you just have to game plan. And yeah, there's a little bit of philosophy talk, but, the guys that come in just have to pick it up based on the culture that's been created already. And I think, you know, like you said before relating it to South Dakota state, there's always, you always can refer to the group of seniors who's been there for, you know, most of them, majority of them have typically been there for five years or at least four. And then you have the couple of the transfer guys that have been there even for two but that those guys, that group of people is kind of like the tone, the tone setters. And you have those on your team in the NFL as well. Um, and that's what you can, you know, that's how they uh, can do that during the season without the ability to kind of talk it through. Cause you just have to game plan, rely on those tone setters on your team that you've set from the beginning. No, that's great. That it sounds like pretty ubiquitous across
1: levels, right? You got to have your leaders; they need to be established early. And we were fortunate enough to talk to Justin Sell last week on the podcast, and he talked a lot about, you know, how proud he was of Stig being open, you know, for su- for a coach who's had such a long legacy at South Dakota State. And I remember my senior year, um, which would have been your redshirt freshman year, we kind of had some. Uh, we had some struggles in leadership, um, just different styles, contrasting styles, maybe conflicting. And then one of, to credit Coach Stig and the staff altogether, opening up captainship for underclassmen, I thought was really a, a really smart play because it allowed that youth to ingrain early and then throughout their career and then kind of have leaders at each level. Um, and, I, and I think that was really remarkable. So that's at the collegiate level. Now talking about the professional level, who are some of those guys uh, that you were able to rub elbows with? I mean, you, you played with Matt Stafford, you played uh, a little bit with Drew Brees. I mean, talk a little bit
0: about some of the leadership prowess uh, in your time in the league. Yeah. I mean, those two guys that you mentioned for sure, you know, Matthew and Drew are good leaders. You know um I actually didn't, I did get to see a little bit of Drew's leadership, but you know who I I actually played the week. I was only with the Saints for six days and I played with Teddy. Um, And he's also a good leader, very good leader. And I think, you know, what, what all good leaders have in common is they put in the work, you know, and you, and you, uh, and it's not out there for, I mean, people will see it, but that's not why they work, you know, they're not working for people to see it. They just work because it's what they do, and people respect that, and they'll respect that across all professions. You know, not just not just football. For example, Teddy Bridgewater is. Gosh,
1: I don't know how
0: long he's been in the NFL now. Twenty sixteen? I don't remember when they drafted. No, twenty fourteen. Sorry, twenty fourteen. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty fourteen. Um, so I'm down there in New Orleans, and. You know, he's been starting for a couple weeks, and he probably threw, after practice was over, he probably threw about 20 passes to the tight ends and the running backs that wanted, that just wanted to. Um, yeah, like 20 or 30 fa- extra passes after practice. Drew Brees is known for doing, like, extreme mental calisthenics uh on the field so the field would be empty so we finished a walk through on friday Everyone was gone except me and um jt barrett i would ask him to go through the script with me so it's me and jt barrett and then drew's out there and he's down in the us three out there he's down in the red zone and he's just going through every play and every scenario in his mind and he does a pregame as well. It's like, a, it's like a watching, a, it's almost like watching a computer, like what a computer would be doing. Like he, he takes the imaginary snap. I think he does have a ball in his hand and then walk through. He did at least takes him, but he's got the ball in his hand, takes a snap, goes back. And in his mind, you just be like, okay, okay. There's one, read one, two, three, four. And he throws the ball to each one imaginary, you know, in his mind. And then stops, goes back up to the line of scrimmage. He has the next play in his mind. He like, he, he's like pointing to stuff as if he would be. And then he just go he goes through every play like that. And I think, you know, that's his process. You know, I'm not saying everyone needs to do that, but it's just, that's what he does to prepare. And he's putting the work in, you know, and, Matthew puts work in too. He just does it in different ways and maybe not necessarily with that. He doesn't need to do it on the field. Maybe he just does it sitting in his car or, you know, whatever, however he does, um, whatever he does on that mental side of things. But, you know, like all, all those guys just put in work and people respect that, uh, at any level. But I'm trying to think of some, uh, Oh, some more leaders
1: people wouldn't really know of. You told me you, uh, last time we were chatting, uh, you had a defensive back buddy that was a great just role model for you when you were in Detroit. His name is – it,
0: it wasn't Slay, but it was – No, it was not Slay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don Carey. Great athlete. Man. Don Carey. Don yeah, Carey, played, yeah. Played an incredible athlete. But Yeah, Don Carey is a really – was a great role model for, for me and a leader um, with his hard work. I mean, he carved out a career as a special teams gunner, yeah, played 10 years, went to Norfolk State and was just a, a special teams gunner on punt team and a good special teams player on other units, but mainly a gunner on punt team and played 10 years in the league doing that. And on top of that, he, while I was with him in Detroit, he was working on a master's in theology and he wrote a book and is a carpenter. <laughs> talk about a skill
1: set right there. Wow.
0: Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a guy I really respect and looked up to during my time there. And, um, yeah, I was happy to, glad to have him. Just a strong Christian leader and, oh, and he's running for city council in Virginia. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a great, he's a great guy. A good guy. I'm, I'm curious, you know, I haven't talked to him recently, but, uh, He's got so much going on. I'm surp- his interest in politics surprises me a little bit. But oh, you know, what I should talk about too the uh, the long snapper in Detroit, Don Muhlbach. He's played fifteen years. He's played fifteen years and still he has an absolute cannon. But just you know, you, you might not think he's much of a leader, but. He's been around, he's seen it all, and he works his tail off. He's, his process, that's the thing, like, he's, he's 15 years in and he's still, like, if we have a punt session, he'll take every rep, you know, and he has to take the, he has to take the, te- the punt team, then he also has to take the look team, because usually you do punt per turn on the same day, so he'll sit there and he'll snap, it depends, you know, what special teams coach you have. But he'll snap, like, 20 snaps. And every single time he looks back, he wants to know. He has his hands in the air because he wants the punter to show him where his snap was. And he's, like, exhausted after a game because if it's third down, he's snapping. He's snapping to the to uh, any – oh, he used to snap to the chaplain. Who had whose hands? He's the chaplain, uh, Dave Wilson. His hands used to just be burning by the end of a game because he'd have to catch so many of these snaps from Mule. Because if it was third down, Mule's snapping every third down, he's on the sideline snapping, or if it's uh, third down in the red zone, he's snapping field goal snaps. No, those are great. That's, that's a great
1: insight behind the curtain. Cause you don't even factor that in, you know, I mean, if we played the game, you know, it's field goal ready, it's, it's punt, punt ready, punt ready. And, you know, you got guys with someone on the sideline and, and just creating your systems there. But, you know, now that's for the whole unit now individually, you know, guys have to have their processes and, and that's, that's awesome stuff, man. And 15 years, regardless of what you play, even if it's a, a punter, place kicker, it doesn't matter. You're at the highest of your profession, um, and if if you're a smart rookie coming from SDSU, the guys that are getting a shot right now, those are the guys I would talk to first because uh, I want to know what I can do to emulate that. Um, in talking about processes, you know, I'm not I'm not sure. I think you would probably be lying if you said you foresaw this type of a, a career for yourself. Um, that said, you probably went about it with your own processes to try to set yourself up for success. So when you were in college, what did you do um, to kind of prepare for practice games and juggling quite the course load because you were a a pre-med
0: guy? Oh man. How did I prepare in college? Taking you back a little bit now, huh? Oh, taking me way back. Um,
1: Like, did you, did you have like any idiosyncrasies maybe on game day? Did you, did you walk like, so for me, I walked around the field in in its entirety. um, And then I would obviously do my own stretches. I would do a a pregame hot bath uh, to kind of loosen up my muscles. And then I would get a, get a prayer with at the time, Winston in the, in
0: the end zone right near the goalposts. And then we would get hyped. I I had a routine. Um, I would just I don't remember with my timing of it now how the timing all worked. But at a certain time, I wanted to be on the field. I think it's typically an hour before we were going to do the warm up with the team, and I would do my own warm up. Um, and I always warmed up with my lower. I'd have everything on but shoulder pads, basically. So I'd have my game pants pleats on, you know, uh, if I, I wore a padded girdle on my sh- padded shirt later in my career, I'd have that on and everything but the pads and the helmet. And I would, I kept that routine into the NFL and I'd go out and do my own warm up, do some of my own stretches and do some visualization stuff and can just kind of get to th- just, uh, feel the surface. You know, work on some cuts and saw what it was gonna be like that day, which is very important. Uh so we didn't have turf then. And <laughs> there are some games that were <laughs> real tough, real tough out there. Um, I loved it. I loved having that crappy field. I know. Love- you had to go check it out and just make sure what you were gonna be able to do uh cutting-wise. So that was probably my own part of my own routine. As far as during the week, I really couldn't tell you what my process was. I mean, watch some, I knew, I know I watched some film, um, you know, I made sure I had the script down or any new plays, the play call sheet. Oh, one thing I honestly don't remember doing this, but I'm pro- I'm just going to assume that I did because I did it all. And then I've done it. My whole NFL career is whatever, I was going to the game or at some, so if it's a night game, just at some point the day of the game, going through every play in my mind that was on the play sheet. And I did that. I've done a, a whole NFL career and I did that in college as well. Oh, you know, actually there is one thing I just remembered <laughs> that, I did, that I did in college is I slept in the locker room before every game on the floor um, or however I could, you know, well, if it was a night game, I didn't, I don't think I slept in the locker room, but I definitely napped before the, the game that day at some point. Um, but if it was like a morning game, like a one, uh, 1 PM or something, an afternoon game after we would go eat, I would go to the locker room and lay down on the floor and sleep for, I don't know, however long I determined, you know, <laughs> that I could go get ready and get on the field and be on the field an hour before the warm up. So, yeah, I did that. Um, that's something worth mentioning.
1: Catch a little cat nap in there before you take 30 carries a game, huh? Um, yeah. You know, what was always tough was like when we would fly all the way to the West Coast play Cal Poly or something like that, you know, have these long uh, travel trips and, and you, you remember that, that fateful Cal Poly (laughs) debacle that we had there, but uh, that turned into like a 48 hour, (laughs) 48 hour return trip. But, um, you know, so to that point, how is it traveling across country for some of these games when they're different time zones and having to adjust to that? Would you just get another cat nap in and be fresh or
0: what? Well, it's depends on which way you're traveling. You know, if you are traveling East, it's hard. It's really hard because everything is earlier. But I mean, for me uh, playing in Detroit for so long, I'm on, uh, eastern time zone Detroit's in the eastern time zone so if I was tra- changing time zones I was traveling west and everything just got pushed back so it'd be like at noon I'd be like ready to go and it's like oh I don't have to leave for another three hours you know because I'm on Pacific time so I'd just go sleep some more or watch a movie or, or just watch TV and, or go through my script and just kind of wait But – so I never had the pain of uh, Seattle (laughs) traveling to Pittsburgh and or wherever and playing a 10 a.m. body clock game. You know, I never had that – the pain of that. Um, Or Detroit. They came – they played Detroit. uh, Just didn't play them. So, yeah, that – I never had that pain. But there's certainly a challenge. You know, I think for those – for the West Coast teams, I'd say only. And – Well, West Coast teams and um, I should take that back. I was with Arizona for six weeks, and when we went to Tampa Bay, we went there a day early. Um, So we left on Friday instead of Saturday to to get there and get acclimated. So we weren't doing that travel immediately the day before. And I'm pretty sure most West Coast teams do that. When they're traveling from we were mountain but if they were pacific traveling to the to eastern time zone game they typically leave on a friday and that's even
1: to me that's even kind of a, a strain because like a lot of my sports scientist buddies are like man you need almost 72 hours in a place to fully acclimate if you're making that kind of a, a change to get your you know your body 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 uh adjusted and your biorhythms to catch up but um, I mean, that's awesome that you were fortunate enough to to kind of be in the East to- East Coast time zone for so long um, and play in a bunch of different spots and not have to worry about just another added variable, right? There's as if there's not enough at that level. But to that point, do you have a, a favorite place that you played, favorite stadium, favorite environment or atmosphere at the NFL level and then the collegiate level?
0: As far as who I played for or just – like what
1: stadiums, environments? Yeah, what? It doesn't matter who you were playing for at the time. Yeah.
0: Um, well, I've, I mean, I loved uh, Ford Field when when Ford Field is rocking. It's really fun. Um, I remember just being blown away by a Thursday by my rookie year. We were, the Lions were coming off a really good season, and. The stadium was just rocking. We had Calvin and Matthew, and it was, it was fun. I mean, we had a good team. We kind of – that was the year that Aaron Rodgers threw the Hail Mary on Thursday night football and eliminated us from playoff contention. And I was on injury reserve for 10 weeks that season, but it was um, – it was – Just amazing to be in that stadium. You know, my first stadium was really on the field experiencing that sort of excitement and energy. Then, you know, moving on, aside from Fort Field, uh, I really enjoyed the new Viking Stadium. I liked playing in there. That was fun. I enjoyed playing in Seattle. Yeah. That was
1: fun. Um, That's probably the first time I remember, like, I mean, of course, like, for those who don't know, you set the league you kind of took it by storm in the preseason by leading the league and rushing. And now people try to minimize that or downplay it. But the fact of the matter is you made the most of your reps. Obviously it, it earned you a nice little career to, to this point even. And I think just seeing you on the field in Seattle and hearing the call and like you doing pretty well for yourself um, for it being your first, was that your first real like serious action? Uh,
0: yeah. So my, so I played, So uh, there are a couple of games in Seattle, actually. So my rookie year in 2015, yeah, that was the first game I really saw. Serious action was at Seattle. And then – What a place to be thrown into the fire, right? I mean, you got the 12th man. It's pretty ruckus. Yeah, it was loud. It was, you know, honestly, though, not that different from playing at NDSU. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, you've been at NDSU. I mean, it's it's –
1: but I tell people that and they kind of scoff because, like, you know, everybody loves to down, downplay our level of competition. But I'm like, all right. I mean, it's different when you're in it and you got old ladies
0: stealing, you know, Ludeman's helmet off the sidelines. and <laughs> yeah, There's, I mean, it's, you know, when you're sitting in the – when you're in the huddle at NDSU and Sumner whoever the quarterback is, is screaming the play and you – he's screaming and you can hardly hear him. Uh, that's what it's like in Seattle. So I don't, you know, and when something's that loud, I think it's hard to tell, like, which is louder. Exactly, yeah. But, yeah, it's, like, not that different from being on the field at North Dakota State. So I was prepared, (laughs) and uh, so that was a fun place to play. Um, You know, I always loved playing on grass fields. I think maybe that stems from college. I played on grass in high school and college, you know, my home field was grass. And so I loved playing in Green Bay, not just for the grass, but also just for the history of that stadium. You just kind of, it just kind of feels older, a little more classic. Um, I liked, I liked Buffalo a lot, even though it's a turf field, that stadium feels like a college stadium. It's got a really intimate vibe to it, and uh, so I, I like playing in Buffalo. I got to play there a couple times. Um, what other stadium did I like? You know, I never got to play. I was with Miami for six days, but I never got to play in uh, in Hard Rock. So I would. I wanted. I've always wanted to play there. There's like a few stadiums that I, I never made it to. Um, tell you what, I hated playing on was the baseball field in Oakland.
1: Yeah, that would be just a nightmare, especially for footing. That's even it's even worse than the old double crown action we had going for a while. Yeah, it is
0: actually <laughs> worse than
1: double crown, which is amazing. <laughs> you never knew what you were going to step into the double crown, which is no credit <laughs> to all those who who came before us that helped us get all those facilities and you know Mr. Sanford and and Mr. Dykehouse oh, as well. But hey, you know you brought up the bills. Nobody circles the wagon like the Bills, like the Buffalo Bills and Splitting Hairs podcast. So I want to get some questions that the guys wanted me to ask. So speaking of NDSU and a lot of your collegiate uh, memories, is there any one performance that sticks out? Is there any one uh, play that that you just you felt was pretty remarkable that sticks in your mind more than any others? At South Dakota State? Yeah, when you were in
0: college? Mm, I think – that run at Kansas sticks out in my mind. You showed some wheels during that play, man. <laughs> for, well, you know, for a couple reasons. One, it was a very long run. Um you know, just be running the ball for that long on a football field is kinda of, is unique, so it makes it memorable. And also, you know, that was the first game I don't know if it was the first game I started technically, but it felt like the first game where I was the starter. And, uh, so that's, those are two reasons, you know, that game in general. And then we're playing an FBS school. Uh, it's my first game starting and then I'm carrying the ball for the longest I'll ever carry the ball during a play. Um, so I think for those reasons that play sticks out, but it's not, you know. That's if you make me pick, you know, I don't really have a ton of plays. I guess that really stick out like that. I can remember, I can remember a, a lot of plays, um, but not necessarily. Uh, you know, one doesn't stick out usually more than the other.
1: Right. That's a great one. You know, that, that's, that's etched in Jackrabbit lore for forever. I mean, in terms of just the way it shook out, what I loved about it too, and I'm sure you do too, because you're a team guy, was watching how the line and everybody did their 111th, man, from Daughters to, to you know, every, Cease to everybody on that play, man, it was beautiful. It was so. Cool. It was, yeah, it was perfectly blocked. It was poetic, man. It was absolutely yeah. poetic. And so, you know, another one for me, uh, I'm a little biased, but I really liked it because of, of the stakes of it, because we were playing for pride. But it was my senior year uh, at Missouri State. It was uh, fourth and one. I think we were in overtime, or was it, it – I'm getting all of my memories. We were
0: that game, yeah.
1: Yeah, we were in overtime, and we were playing for pride and in, uh, in a play, potential play-in for a wild card. Uh, in the playoffs or an at-large, I guess they call it. But man, just for for a second there, we we did a shift. And then I remember the middle linebacker getting excited, like we jumped, like we jumped offsides or false started. And then you uh, just snuck it in right behind me. And I, I don't even, I think I did my job well enough to get in. And, um, but it was, it was exciting for me to see that. And then another one, I mean, there's, I could literally probably name at least five to six each year you played. But uh, the other one was the Montana State playoff game. That was so awesome. Just the, I think the elements, like you said, there's, you know, that stadium is remarkable too, Uh, you know, just to see it uh, kind of tucked into the mountains there and everything and seeing the snow just coming down and how well we like, you know, going from defense to offense, obviously took a lot of pride watching you guys on offense. And we just racked up, I think 40 plus points
0: and that was a good, we dominated the line of scrimmage offensively, uh, at least in that game too. So very fun. Are you
1: still tired from running in that game or? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. No, I love it. I love it. And then, you know, I want to ask a lot of the guys have, 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 remarked about it. And I think we've all probably seen a picture circulating, but throughout your collegiate years, you remained healthy, you know, remarkably with all the carries that you took and sustained over Mm -hmm. here. Maybe you had some nicks and bruises, uh, along the way, but nothing that, that made you miss any type of time really. And Mm -hmm. then some pictures came out after you had some injuries, uh, sustained through your professional career that you completely transformed your body. Talk about some of the things you did, why you did that, um, and what led you to kind of
0: undertake such a, a strict and regimented transformation. Well, first of all, the stats are a little padded because I had a, I was recovering from a broken back in the before picture. So there's uh, those that don't know, there's a before and after picture. And the before picture, I have a broken, crooked back, and I haven't worked out in – since the bone broke, I haven't had a real workout in, oh my gosh, it would have been, how long it takes a bone to heal? Four weeks, five, five weeks? So I had a real workout in five weeks. And um, then in the after picture, oh and so, also another element, in the before picture, you, you walk in, do some stuff, talk to them, do an assessment at this amazing gym, Sincerely amazing gym that I found, an amazing with an amazing trainer. And you want to give him a shout out. Uh, it's Mecca Michigan Elite Conditioning for athletes, and David Lawrence is the head trainer there, and he's really created something really special out in Michigan. And um, I, but you do like a little bit of an assessment with him, which is very low physical strain, and. Then he goes, Okay, we're going to go take your before picture. So you're just like, you just walked in off the street, you know, and take your shirt off, take the picture. In the after picture, I have completed a, a massive upper body pump workout. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> Like beyond what you would normally do. Like, we're like, in the after picture, in my second one, so I did one where I'd just done a normal upper body one. But in the second one we did, uh, I was doing like chin ups with 10 second holds at the top, just <laughs> to blood flow to those muscles. So he pads his stats, and I give him a hard time for that. But, you know, really, it's his method of training is real. And, you know, his expertise is really what helps, and hard work, you know, by both of us is really what helped that transformation. Then, nutritionally, I really learned a lot. Um, about what to do and what not to do and that was big for me and I did exactly what they said and uh, I think you know part of that's just being coachable another part of that's discipline and trusting in who uh, that was a big thing for me in college too but just trusting in what people are telling you and I did exactly what they said So when they said, don't have a traditional carbohydrate for three weeks, I didn't have one for three weeks. Um, You know, I was still having carbs through vegetables, but I didn't have any breads or grains um, or anything like that for three weeks. And uh, that was probably the, so that was to lean out. And then we added carbs only twice a day after uh, workouts when your body's more sensitive to insulin and you can absorb those nutrients better and adding and just eating more, you know, I think, and it was at a point where I didn't know if my career was going to be over. It's like, well, I'm just going to do everything I can and see what happens. If I do get a shot, I'll be ready. That
1: That's the right way to approach it, man. And I think that you, you know, you need to feel, fuel for the demands of what your body's telling you, you know, I I've been fortunate enough to be around some of the best minds in human performance with exos athletes, performance Institute, Mm -hmm. Um, right near MJP. They have great uh, training staff as well, where you did your NFL pre-draft stuff, but just listening to them, uh, you know, carbs get demonized a lot today, but you know, how you would fuel is very different than how NFL offensive lineman and our former teammate, Brian Witzman would fuel. And, very different from how Goddard would fuel and, you know, Winnicky and so on down the line. Uh, but I think that if, if you and I could tell anything to athletes coming up that are going to listen to this and recruits and current jackrabbits is double down on your nutrition, especially with like the the CNS demands from lifting, from practice, from studying, yeah. from trying to have some semblance of a social life as you're growing up and maturing. Yeah. Um, now there's so many available resources like blue apron hello fresh you know i guess they're getting unlimited meals now i i told uh justin and cell that i wasn't going to hold it against them um, but i'm expecting some meals to come my way here in texas <laughs> <laughs> but man, like just trying to maintain your weight um, with all the conditioning we do with all the demands yeah definitely double down on your nutrition find those resources And like you said, Zenner is lean on people who are telling you what to do because really, I mean, yeah, we've learned a lot more throughout the course of time, but the basics are still the basics. Uh, And there's a great book out right now by Trevor Mawad, who I was fortunate enough to cross paths with, um, who consulted for Saban and um, Jimbo Fisher and all that, but it takes what it takes. Famous Nick Saban quote, it takes what it takes and it really does. And, um, you yeah. don't want to be a guy that looks back on your career and goes, oh, man, I could have, should have, would have, because um, it's definitely not where you want to live. Yeah. And you're a testament to that.
0: So, Yeah. Do you, um, do you remember when the nutritionist came to fall camp your senior year? And it was like the first time we'd ever had a nutritionist on campus. Stig brought her in. I don't remember her name. And you asked, and we were asking, people were asking questions. People were curious. And Stig was like, it was dragging on like too long. And you asked if you should eat your fruit or drink your fruit. <laughs> and Stig was like, so what? like what are we talking about here? <laughs> there was a legitimate
1: question. Uh, yes. Yeah, It was like a frozen, I think I asked a question about frozen versus fresh too and i think they started getting annoyed but it just tells you
0: man like all our information on nutrition is evolved and talk about how far we've come stig i mean stig would be totally different about that now just with what's happened in the field of nutrition in the last 10 years but i just i i will never forget that you asking that and like you were serious and like that's a serious question but i don't know if he didn't he probably, I don't know if you thought you were being sarcastic or just yeah. didn't understand the question that that is something you need to consider, but I think it was that, probably for that. Yeah. Bottom line is he got pissed at you. <laughs> I'm glad never. you remember that. <laughs> God, that was funny, man. God, yeah. that killed me.
1: That was I pretty.
0: Think, I still think about that.
1: That's funny, man. No, yeah, it's it's been great. I remember when I first got to South Dakota State, you know how they called it Stig Pop. Yeah. Our our uh, Jackrabbit way uh, dissection where we go through the manual, the mad manual. It was called stick pop because everybody used to have a pop back in the D2 days yeah. post practice. And I'm sitting here like, man, that just makes my my stomach turn over like I can't even think about it because I'll tell you this, how far we've come. My freshman year of high school, um, we were doing conditioning before spring ball and i used to drink like a coke at lunch every now and again Mm -hmm. and i had two that day two cokes in high school can you imagine that during the day and i must have been dehydrated but we ran 200s and if anybody knows like i ran what the one in 200 meter in track and that was awful like it was it was awful so i remember like laying on the bench in the locker room and i was Fifteen at the time, and my parents were waiting to pick me up, and I was in there for like an hour. And I, I literally, I mean, I've I've drank a soft drink since then, but I do not. I stay away from that, man. Yeah. It's probably I mean, worse than alcohol in some
0: in some instances, but yeah, so, I mean, it depends, you know, I mean, I don't know if a pop, pop during that would have been the worst thing because sugar, you know, right, insulin sensitive. Yeah, so, I mean, at the end of the day, and we probably you know depending on what you've eaten, you may be lacking in nutrients and your body's going to sugar. But yeah, still though, there are better things. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. No, we could rap about nutrition all day, man. But, uh, I think I want to get to a couple more here. Um, what, what was growing in Matt Patricia's beard? Anything?
0: Did you see anything
1: come out of it or? Pencils. Pencils. That's for sure. Number two or mechanical, any mechanical ones come out of there?
0: He's not a mechanical guy no no definitely um the old-fashioned uh i don't even know what brand he used but he um he saves them like game games does pencils. he chew on them at all no
1: that's good that would be
0: crossing the line but he um no he would never disrespect his pencils like that he <laughs> <laughs> he saves them like and he'll know like this one's from the super bowl like Super Bowl week. Wow. Yeah. Or this one's from the NFC Championship when we lost at Denver. So, or sorry, the AFC Championship, excuse me. So, yeah, he'll, uh, he'll, he knows like where a lot of them come from here, can remember. So, wow. Yeah. He's an extremely intelligent individual. Oh, yeah. He looks
1: like just an operator and a, and a thinker. And obviously, you don't, have the success he's had regardless of who the head coach is without knowing what he's doing. Um, so as far as South Dakota state, were you able to, I know we've, we've talked before, but at the NFL level, have you been able to kind of chat with some of former Jack's alums, like, you know, Witzman? obviously I'm sure you keep in touch because you guys share the same agent. Um, but what about, have you, have, did you talk to Goddard at all? I don't know if
0: your paths crossed maybe when he was a freshman um I yeah, so I mean, I played the Dallas um a little bit, um, he was not the Dallas that everyone knows and loves today, physically, yeah, uh, but I did see him, I don't remember where I saw him, but I ran into him, um at at one point, um and I've been you know whoever like Winnicky or. You know, just try to keep up with their careers and maybe reach out a few times here and there uh, to those guys, uh, Rose Boom, you know. I'm excited to watch him get a shot. And speaking of that,
1: you know, it's kind of cool to watch uh, Mikey Daniel, who I got a chance to coach a little bit at Brookings High School and see how his career is really taking shape. And I think think he's kind of taking a page out of your book in terms of being – uh, malleable and open to a lot of different type of opportunities, which is great, right? Like Like he'll play
0: fullback and he'll be a, you know, a gunner and all that stuff. Well, think, yeah. I mean, so think about if you not, not only think about his college career, but you think about his high school career where he went to Florida and, you know, wanted to get around some different competition and kind of leave the small city and kind of go to a bigger city and, compete there and did that for a couple of years and then decided his best to come back to Brookings, play to Brookings. And what did he, was he initially a scholarship at South Dakota State? No, no. correct? Yeah. And and that's the thing, like just incredible how he transformed. Yeah. So then he walks on and just, like you said, does whatever is asked of him. And um, that includes his seat bulking up his senior year and needing to become the big back, you know, which he did with, you know, he's like, they want me to be bigger. So I'm getting bigger. I mean, I ran into him. um, I have an FCA camp up in Brookings every summer. and He's like, yeah, they want me to be a little bigger this year. So I'm just trying to put a good weight on. And I was like, good for you. You know what I mean? Like what a great testament to what you said, do whatever you can for the team. And, uh, and then he goes, and now he's an undrafted fullback running back, hybrid for the Falcons and a good shot to make the team so I'm really happy for him and you know that he's going to have that opportunity and I know he's going to take full advantage of it
1: yeah and I've been around a lot of people throughout my 32 years now and I genuinely can't say I know anybody who loves football more than that kid I mean (laughs) leave your family and your nucleus to go to Florida to I mean obviously to try to you know better yourself and, and achieve your dreams but I mean that's that's scary, you know, and you're, yeah. you don't have a pulse if, you, if, if even he would tell you, but he was probably a little intimidated at first. But, you know, he was going to, you know, deliver his, his licks as much as he took them and try to make a name for himself. So, you yeah. know, I, I love that about all jacks and, and just anybody who loves a game of football in general because it, it's a pure game and it will teach you a lot about yourself. And uh, speaking about things that you, you learn or things that that you're taught – Um, you juggled, a a medical, uh, career or, or pursuit in pursuit of a medical career. And you kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show that you have some different plans right now. You called an audible in your life. Do you
0: care to speak a little bit to why you made that decision? Sure. So, you know, a lot of, for a lot of my even professional career, the thought was always, I was going to go to medical school, um, after I was done playing. And I wouldn't say that that door is shut. Uh, I you know it's still on the table, and I don't shut any doors unless I have to. But the feeling right now is that most likely isn't the correct path for me, and that came from a lot of different things: prayer, meditation, um, and the ultimate realization that I'm much more interested in the nutritional aspect, the supplement, nutritional supplementation, treating things that way, and. Although those those topics are touched on in medical school, that's not the focus, and the focus is much more acute care, which I think has definitely has a place um, in the healthcare system. Um, But I'm much more interested in helping chronic conditions and with diet and lifestyle choices, and much more of the uh, Eastern medicine if you were going to stereotype and uh, I just think a more effective use of my time would be to, you know, not go to medical school. Um, Now, again, I think I wouldn't shut the door completely, uh, but that's just what I'm much more passionate about about now. And that's come from my experiences in the NFL. You know, honestly, if I'd only played one year in the NFL, I would have gone to medical school and done that whole thing. But, you know, as life has gone on, you know, in my, what, I, what experiences I've accumulated, my interests have changed and uh, I'm open to that change.
1: That's great, man. It's, I can only imagine what that would be like to kind of juggle two full-time professional dreams kind of at once like that. But, you know, you being able to speak to why you've kind of mulled that over and mold a, a different direction over is important. I think that, it's it's very well thought out because I kind of share your your take on you know acute care as we're seeing now in, in the times of a of a pandemic. Yeah, you need it. Critical, you need it, you need those frontline health workers, um, and we need Western medicine in that scenario. But at the same time, I think that people lose sight of their own individual autonomy in finding a way holistically to kind of deal with a lot of these remedies, you know, type two diabetes and obesity is a huge problem in this country. And really, it doesn't need to be it's kind of a, a product of a number of things, but it's largely a product of our affluence, right and our conveniences and our ability to have whatever we want at our fingertips, Uber Eats, you know, DoorDash, whatever. And I think, that you know, like, we just need those outlets and resources like yourself, people who've done it, because I think that, you know, that's a whole reason they put athletes and marketing campaigns for sports drinks with a ton of sugar in it or soft drinks or McDonald's or what what have you because what they say carries so i think that that's great that you're you're seeing that in a more holistic light and i think that you can do a lot with that if that's what you choose uh, I, I only think you'd be an average doctor though so i just want to put that out
0: <laughs>
1: now man you'll be great whatever you d- you decide and on that note you're a, you're a father as well so mm-hmm. how has happen, man. That probably, I I have two dogs. I don't have two kids. So
0: (laughs) Dogs will listen to you.
1: Yes. And they, and they don't talk back and they love all my jokes.
0: So yeah, there's a (laughs) lot to love about a dog and there's a lot to love about a kid too. You know, I have two sons, Zane and Bowden. Zane is two and some change and Bowden, we just had his first birthday here a week ago or uh, a couple weeks ago this party a week ago but yeah they're um they're a lot of work you know parenting's really interesting it's most days I think almost every day you you go through a roller coaster of how you feel about it so like right now I can hear him upstairs and I'm like ah you know I want to go see him <laughs> and like say good morning and like hear my hear Zane say hi daddy and that's really cool. And then like 30 minutes later, I'll wish I was back down here talking to you cause they'll be screaming and I'll have to clean up a mess on the floor and he'll be hitting his brother. And so it's, it's really an interesting, every day is kind of like that where you have like, you you miss them and then you're with them and you're like, I'm done with you. And then, but you can't get away, you know, like you got to care for them. They need you all the time. And then you have, so they will be, you'll be wiping something up and then Zane will say, thanks dad. I'm like, you're welcome, man. That's the best, (laughs) you know, like no problem. Or, Boat, it'll come up and just want to snuggle for like 30 seconds. You're just like, oh, this is incredible. <laughs> this is the love that you feel and um, the joy that comes with that. And then, like I said, then a minute later, zayn will kick you in the face while you're roughhousing. And you're just like, oh gosh, this is, this is tough. Um, or you have to clean up food for the third time and it's only noon, you know? So yeah, it's just, um, that when you have two young kids like that, there's just a lot of up and down and yeah. uh, You know, you got, you got to deal with them, their emotions as well. So, you know, they're hungry or tired. Everything's worse. (laughs) So just stuff like that. But overall, you know, it's maybe it's probably the most, not probably it's the most rewarding thing, you know, that I've done. Yeah, That's amazing, man.
1: And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't try to find the lesson and everything. And when you're talking about how it's kind of a wave of emotion or you go through a, a cycle of emotion, roller coaster, if you will, throughout the course of the day, just with kids, that's football too. So for any kid who's coming into South Dakota state, that's going to listen to this and uh, aspire to get where you're at. I mean, we've, we all felt it. I felt it. I'm sure you felt it. We know it's a love, hate relationship. You know, you're going through two-a-days, which I don't even think they do anymore, man. Like, I just – I can't believe it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I signed up to do this. this- I know. <laughs> like, one-day padded practices now. and uh, Well, it's still – you know, it's still a grind because I think it's longer. It is. It is, man. And I'm not trying to downplay it and, like, be All one right. of those disgruntled old guys because I, I promised myself I wouldn't. <laughs> um, but you no, know, it's it's a love hate relationship. So just take that into account, keep that in context, and right. I can't. I, I look forward to having kids one day too, so I can experience that.
0: I'll, I will add a little a little story to that. Um, when I first started playing football, uh, I was in third grade, and I cried before every practice because I didn't want to go because it was hard. And I like playing the games, but I didn't want to go to practice. And uh, but I went anyways, and now look at me, third grade, and I'm in what? I'm in 22nd grade, so (laughs) 19 (laughs) years. Man, that's and I thought
1: I played a long time. I was sixth grade padded ball all the way to 24. So it's wild, and it's a wild ride, and it's it's well worth it. It's the greatest microcosm of life, I would say. Because you grind, grind, grind for six days out of the week to have three hours of enjoyment of which you might come out on the good side and be be enriched and happy and like not want to bash your head up against the wall because you took an L. And if you did take an L, you'll learn way more than you, than you did when you won because you've been exposed. And it's just, that's life, man. Like, that's yeah, life. That's a good point. But I appreciate your time, Zach. Um if there's anything else that you would uh want to say to people listening to this. I mean, I could I could talk to you for another hour, but I want to let you get to the kiddos. Um if, if there's anything that you could say about your time at the Jackrabbit uh or any sage words of wisdom for anybody coming into Blue and Yellow, what would you say to them?
0: I'd say just speaking on another aspect of
1: um it is, man. And I'm not trying to downplay it and like be one of those disgruntled old guys cuz I, I promised myself I wouldn't.
0: My true freshman year was the hardest year of my entire life. Um, you're transitioning socially. You physically move from your family. You're physically going. I was physically going through the hardest thing being a scouty right, that first semester. That first semester is a true freshman. You're scouty. And. You don't get to compete. So you go through all that grind and then no three-hour test at the end of the week. It's just nothing. You just rest your body. Get ready for the next week. And all the transitions, and that was school. So I'm just saying that if your first semester is really crappy, just try to stick it out. And see, you know, give it another shot. Because, if you know, I would have never quit. But you know, I think that that tend that can come in. You know, I certainly thought about it. I would have never done it. But it's the old thing, um, that old Will Castle story where him and John Fick were walking to scouting practice, and Castle put his his foot on the on the curb and told Fick to stomp on his ankle so he wouldn't have to practice. Uh, yeah like step on my ankle just end it right here so i don't have to that sounds like it well <laughs> you know those thoughts just because you have those you know or you're yeah. and you're in something hard doesn't mean that you know you're soft or that you're going to quit you can have those and just keep keep grinding on and uh that's what i did i had all those thoughts and all those doubts like gosh what the heck am i doing this is terrible but you know then then it ended and then you're in the winter and the spring and you're in spring ball and you feel like more of the team and then next year the next year you're playing or you just come in and play even you know you're going through a lot of transition. so yeah I think that's what I would say and as far as my to you know to people coming in and as far as my time as a jackrabbit I mean some those are some incredible memories i you know look back fondly as still talk to my roommates and uh, my teammates and it's just it's really cool to have those memories and um you know some of the great moments uh in my life where you know it happened then and at, at during my time at south coast state and i loved it i loved it there um I'm, i wouldn't trade i wouldn't trade for anything
1: uh, that's awesome, man! Thanks for sharing that. That's great advice. I think it it humanizes you probably to to people who are going to be in blue and yellow that you might seem unattainable to them or your legacy or what you've done. But it's definitely what we all go through, and and I'm glad you hit that point because it it hopefully will encourage a lot of these young guys that uh, what you're going through is normal and it's typical. And hopefully uh, you just laid out a little pattern uh, of what to do about it. I know we talked about it last time, how you really leaned on your buddies uh, and you talked to your dad, who's a, your dad's a great stabilizing presence. And hopefully, you know, if, if not a lot of guys have yeah. relationships with their dads, maybe they can find someone to mentor. I know TJ for me was great. Uh, TJ Carlson, the chaplain at South Dakota state was awesome. Yeah. Stig's probably the most available and accessible head coach you'll find across all levels of football. Um, he gave me, he gave me 30 minutes, man, before college game day on a Thursday, like just talking to me. And (laughs) you know, that's, that's something that you're not going to get anywhere else. So of course, Zach and I are biased, but we loved our, we loved our time in blue and yellow and, uh, man, I've loved my time here speaking with you, man. And thanks for sharing. Good catching up. And until next time, uh, go big, go blue, Go Jack!
0: This has been the Splitting Hairs Podcast. Remember to like and subscribe as well as follow Jackrabbit Illustrated on Facebook and Twitter. As far as my time as a Jackrabbit, I mean, some those are some incredible memories. I'll... Go Jackrabbit! What all good leaders have in common is they put in the work. People will see it, but... That's not why they work, you know? They're not working for people to see it. They just work because it's what they do. And people respect that, and they'll respect that across all professions, you know, not just just football.